Welcome back to the hallowed halls here at the Apartment Academy. School is back in session. We at the Academy are the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast, featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate or you're involved in day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, well, this is your academia. This is your school of higher learning and improved NOI. Today's podcast um, was with Cindy Clare, who is COO of Bell Partners and um, has been uh, you know, at a high level operating uh, multifamily buildings, multifamily companies for a long time. And, and she's got some really interesting perspectives on how COVID has changed uh, the, the industry um, some of the difficulties involved and risks involved in, in managing apartment buildings. And uh, I, I really enjoyed speaking to her. So let's kick things off with Professor Claire. All right. Well, Professor Claire, welcome to the Apartment Academy today. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you. So, um, Cindy, you've, you, have, you are the chief operating officer at, at Bell Partners, which is a company with nearly 50 years of uh, experience in, in managing buildings. You have over 220 properties, 65,000 units across uh, much of the Northwest, uh, sorry, Northeast, and then spanning into the West and some of the South. Um, about two thirds of which those are, are third-party managed, which, which really makes Bell Partners one of the larger third-party operators here in the country. Um, so that's amazing. Tell, tell us a little bit about your journey, Cindy, to get here, you know, your your three years at Bell Partners sort of it's been relatively brief in comparison to the time you spent with with your prior companies. Yes, so um, I have this. Uh, I've had three other jobs in my career. I'm, I tend to stay for a while, so I'm a little unusual in that sense. I started right out of college um, in what was supposed to be quote unquote a job till I found my real job, and. When I started with um, a develop, well, an owner manager in the DC area, they offered me a full time position, and I ended up staying, um, learning the business, became a regional manager, did lease ups, did you know a little bit of everything, and then was recruited into a role as a vice president with another local company, and I spent 10, 10 years there running the residential division for that company. And then was recruited to Kettler, where I spent 13 years as the president of Kettler Management um, until I came to Bell as the COO. So most of my career was in the D.C. market. It was um, largely regional, although Kettler had started expanding into other markets. Um, So the opportunity to come to Bell on a national platform. And ironically, we um, we do have a lot of stuff in the mid-Atlantic and in the Northeast, but we started in North Carolina. So we have a huge presence in the Southeast as well. Um, our largest market is North Carolina. Our second largest market is Florida. And then the DC metro area is the third. And then, as you said, we're out on the West. So the opportunity to go to um, a national company in a COO role was, was very enticing. And it's been so far three years, it's been great. Well, still early in for you though. So, um, but yeah, considering your tenure in other places, but, but you have the classic, um, this is the classic example of one of the things that's wonderful about um, 
about multifamily as, as, as a career. And I'm sure you must be, I'm sure this must be pointed out all the time, but it's classic to see somebody who really started at the, at the, in the trenches at the property, at the site level, and has worked their way up to being the COO of, of, again, one of the largest third party operators in the country. And I think that's one of the things that's really wonderful. Very true. Um, although I, just to be clear, I didn't start on site because when I started my career in the dark ages, um, people didn't get promoted from the site level, but I did start in an administrative role. Um, and then I worked on site on my own because I wanted to learn about it and then was promoted into a regional role. But you're absolutely correct that most people start on a site level and work their way up. And it's a great way to learn the business. And in, in most cases, those of us that have been around for a long time didn't know anything about property management. We kind of fell into it. What is great to see today is the number of people that are choosing this as a career with the colleges and the universities that now offer um, specialties in property management or so many people now getting degrees in real estate. It's really opened up the industry um, a lot more. And so it's it's very exciting to see it, but you're absolutely right. Getting that foundation at the site level um, helps you be successful as you move up in an organization. And there's a clear career path and people, you know, it, you can do it. Uh, many of us have, have. Yeah, and a bias, a strong bias for companies to to hire within and and raise people up through that through that group, which is also I think wonderful to see. Um, so, given that, and and given that you spent nearly ten years in that regional sort of role, you have definitely seen uh, the challenges that face apartment operators uh, again at the in the trenches level. I'll, I'll say. So um, talk to us a little bit about what you think some of the largest challenges are in managing multifamily buildings. Um, the biggest challenge is people. I mean, think about our business. It's a people business. So it's not only, you know, we, use, we joke and say it, our job would be so easy if we didn't have to deal with people. Well, because it's not just your employees. You've got residents. You have clients. So everywhere, everything we touch besides the real estate is people oriented. You're dealing with someone's home. You have a lot of staff on site. You have institutional investors or individual investors um, that are all very interested. So you have multiple cu customers basically, and it's all around the people. And the more you move up in an organization, the more you spend time on people versus spending time on the assets. I mean, the physical asset and the day-to-day -day operations of a property have their own complexities, but to some to some extent, they're fairly straightforward. Um, it's the people piece of it that can make or break you um, it, in performance and in the you know and how your property runs. So whether that's your residents paying their rent, whether that's your staff and how they're treating your residents, how is the property performing because that makes an impact on your clients, um, it, how you deal with your clients, it it all revolves around people. So. What makes up, I think, our job the most fun is all the people you get to interact with, but it's also the most challenging piece of the, of the business as well. Yeah, mm -hmm, for sure. And and I think when we say we're a people business, people I think I would say people outside the business often go right to, well, that's because you're 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 dealing with people, right? The residents on site. But but you mentioned something really important, which is there's a lot of staff. I mean, you, in particular in this business. Um, for example, if you have a million dollars worth of, of, of property management fees, just man third party management fees, 
you may have 50 people or more in the field deployed to generate those fees. And because they're very thin margins, right, on the operation side. And so that is a challenge to manage that number of people with sort of limited overhead to do so. Right. No, that's exactly right. When you think about so you, a 300 unit property, if it's a garden property or a mid-rise property that doesn't have a front desk, you're going to on average have six people at that property. And then if there is a, a 24 hour desk, you may have nine, 10, 12 people at a property. So then you multiply that by a hundred properties and think about what those numbers are. And it, it, you know, very quickly becomes you're spending a lot of time on the people side of it. And the, and again, those people, you know, the, the people make or break the, the, um, the property as far as how your residents feel, you think about maintenance, you think about the customer service side of it, all of that impacts your residents and makes them make the decision whether they're staying, are they happy? Um, are they going, you know, today, are they going on social media and complaining about you or celebrating you? Um, and it, and it, it's generally about people. Yeah. So how does Bell Partners address that? If, if people are so important, how do you do a good job? Let, let's start with talking about internally. Well, we can talk about both, but start with internally, um, keeping employees happy, keeping them engaged. It's a difficult business. We can talk about that. This is not an easy career choice in many respects. And we can talk more about that. But how, so what does Bell Partners do that's, that's special or unique that you think that helps you guys succeed in that area? Well, I think a lot of it is the connection with our people and the culture. You have to create a strong culture. Um, you have to create a, a vision for people to follow. They need to know what our goals are and where we're going. Um, and we do, I think, do a very good job of creating that culture and that vision. Um, we set out a strategic plan. We let everybody know what that plan is. We have our mission and our core values and people can recite them and they know what, what we're trying to accomplish. And so everybody's committed and rowing in the same direction. So I think that's the first step. And then the second piece of it, which has been particularly hard this year is the connection piece. You know, I, one of my favorite things to do is be out on site. I want to go visit the teams. You know, if I'm making decisions for this company, I need to know what's going on on the site level to make those decisions. Um, I joke with people all the time and say, I don't sit in my office every day and figure out what I can do to make your life miserable. I'm really trying to figure out how we make things better. I know sometimes it probably doesn't feel that way, but part of that is you have to get out and see the properties and talk to the teams. And so we are very focused on everybody being out and you know touching the real estate, touching the teams. That connection is really important. And so this past year with the pandemic, finding ways to connect, whether that's through video, through um, you know, video messages, through written messages. Um, and now we're starting to get back out. Our regionals have always been on the properties, but getting now as we get more comfortable, getting more people out, getting I've started traveling again. Um, I think that's important. I think you, you need to be able to tell people how much you appreciate what they're doing and hear what their concerns are. And I think that creates the culture. It is a hard job. And, you know, every single person on a site makes a difference, whether that's the person cleaning up the grounds to the site manager, to the leasing people, to the maintenance people, they all play a critical role in what happens at those properties. 
Now, I totally agree. Um, I think that's spot on. However, we we have been forced over the last 12 months or so, we have been forced as an industry to contemplate how we can maintain some level of, of interaction with our teams on site without physically being there. Um, now that we're thankfully maybe moving out of that of that necessity, were there things learned during this period of having to engage remotely that you think will persist, even though now we can we can return and start seeing things in per- people in person? Absolutely, I think it'll now be it's a balance. I don't think that the the Zoom calls, the team calls, you know, all of this video, like we're doing right now, goes away because I think it it helps us connect. Uh, more often with people. So we've learned, you know, virtual reality training, virtual training, not just webinars or online training, but actual virtual training, virtual onboarding. And I think a lot of those things are here to stay because they allow us to move more quickly to onboard someone or to get someone trained. And then you can supplement with the in-person. And I don't think it will ever take the in-person away completely but we have found that we can do more things virtually, um, which gives us more opportunities to connect. And then the training piece of it, which is another big piece when you're, you're talking about all of these people, is getting them trained, um, giving them the tools to do the job. And so I do think um, that we've learned a lot, and we can talk about it on the leasing side, a lot of the tools that we've rolled out. You know, This industry is not one that moves quickly when it comes to technology. When you think about Um, how fast technology has moved and what other industries are doing. But last year we were forced to really embrace technology on a whole different level. And that's made a huge difference, I think. And a lot of those changes are here to stay. And we figured out that we could roll things out was a little bumpy, but we could roll things out a lot faster than we thought we could. Well, you you touched on something else I think was important. I wanted to ask you about, which is training and the role that training plays in Bell Partners' success. Um, At the risk of of just asking the obvious, what kinds of training do you feel are critical for for teams in the field in order for them to be successful? Well, I think you know the easy ones that everybody talks about is obviously the the fair housing training, customer service training, uh, maintenance training all of those basic skills, the software training. But one of the things that we've also focused on is leadership training. Um, we are an industry that, that focuses on the skills, but then we, we take someone that's a maintenance tech, for example, that knows how to fix everything. And we say, okay, now you're the maintenance manager, but we don't give them the tools to be a leader. And so we've been very focused and we have a three-part program on leadership. So for new managers, we have Spark, for mid-level managers, we have Ignite, and for senior managers, we have Tort. And there are different levels of leadership training to get people um, the skills and the tools that they need in addition to the technical skills. Um, those soft skills become critical as well. And it's something as an industry we have not done as much of because we're so focused on all the other things. Um, you know, Again, all of those pieces are important. One of the things we've also rolled out this year is training for our maintenance teams in a virtual reality versus just sitting them behind a desk. That's not the way that our guys train. They need the hands-on. And so virtual reality enables them and interactive training enables them to actually work on a piece of equipment and see if they're doing it right. And so I think 
making sure that we are giving our teams the, the tools, particularly as we train. We've started doing some podcasts and vodcasts and um, for short little training for new technology that people can go back and rewatch. We're using AI tools as follow-up so that if you go to software training, then there's an AI tool as you go to use the software to say, do you need help with this? There's a bot right there to help you and answer questions. So uh, I think we continue to evolve our training and we continue to fine tune it. And it always needs to be looked at um, and updated because things in our industry do change. Um, and then, you know, obviously all the legal training because there are, we're so heavily regulated. Um, and being in multiple states, you have to know um, what are the fair housing laws federally, but also locally, you know, in some states now you have to do um, human trafficking training. In other states, you know, harassment training. Uh, so there's all kinds of different requirements that we have to, to put into place in addition to the, into the skills training. Yeah, the, we are one of the things that, uh, again, outsiders may not understand about this industry is there is a fair amount of operational risk involved. Um, real legal um, um, liability in, in just operating buildings. It is not simply collecting rent. You, you just mentioned a couple of them, which is fair housing, um, but also whatever the local city, state, county, municipal codes may have to say about operations. Um, how does, how does especially when Bell Partners has such a diverse, geographically you're so di dispersed, how do you stay on top of and manage operational risk? You know, we have a compliance department and a risk management department that help us with that, that are always looking at what are the new laws that are out there. We use the NAA lease largely because they keep it up to date in every state. Um, so because, you know, it's not just fair housing, which is federal and then the local guidelines to fair housing, but you also have landlord tenant laws. So security deposit requirements, late notice requirements. And so having the NAA lease allows us to to really um, feel comfortable that we have the most up-to-date information. But it is keeping track of employment law, um, dealing with uh, the different requirements that are in each state from, from that standpoint and, and the training that they require. So it takes a lot and it takes, um, our risk management department that spends a lot of time looking at what are the new laws out there. And think about just with COVID, each state has had different requirements from um, whether you have to, you know, in some states we have to do a, um, a, a temperature check every day on new employees coming in um, and report any cases. In other states, we don't have to do anything. Um, so understanding what each state is requiring, um, our risk team spends a lot of time on that. Yeah, and and Bell Partners, given the size and, and scale that you have, are probably lucky to be able to have a department like that. How do you suppose, if, if, if you're speaking to some of the smaller operators that are maybe listening to this, um, companies that don't have the luxury of a risk management department, um, how, how, is there, it is even reasonable to expect them to be able to, to stay on top of all of this? It's really tough. I mean, I don't think it's an easy thing to do, and I think that... Um, Unfortunately, the, the states and local jurisdictions don't really care. They're going to hold you accountable. So this is where your apartment associations, um, outside resources, could be supplier partners. It could be um, local attorneys. 
it, it's going to be critical to have someone that can help you for, with that. And I think that when one of the advantages of being smaller is you're probably geographically not as div, dis, dispersed, although sometimes you are. But if you're in one region, then it's a little easier to manage that particular region versus being in multiple states. But I do think that there are resources out there. You just you have to find them and you have to to look for them. Um, and sometimes yeah. in some cases, you may have to pay for them. Yeah. And margins are thin enough. Sometimes that's hard to afford. Yeah. Let's stay on the top on the subject of operations, because um, I know that that. Um, you know, interesting, you, you said this earlier, but I noted when I was looking that, that one of the core values at Bell is um, to prepare for the future today, which is interesting and probably um, quite different, I think, than the mindset of many operators. Um, first of all, I want to ask what that means to you, but then I, I, I know some specific examples of things that's done. But what, what is that? How has that guided um, from a COO's perspective, Cindy? How has that guided your perspective of operations, that, that core value? Well, I think preparing for the future today means you have to be thinking, you have to be looking forward. You can't just look back. You have to think about what, what are the next things that we are going to face? What, what are the things that we can do? You know, now that we've rolled out virtual reality and we've rolled out AI tools, how do we fine tune that? How do we use that moving forward? What are the new tools that may be out there? How is that going to integrate? And recognizing you can't do everything. You know, or I'm going to have my team's head spinning. They already think I move way too quickly, and sometimes I do. Um, but it is it is balancing that with every new tool out there isn't what you're going to do. So preparing for the future doesn't mean that everything's going to be new all the time, but it means looking for those efficiencies and things that are going to be effective. Um, so it may not be the newest, greatest thing today, but if there's something out there that's going to make the site teams more efficient and more effective at what they do. Um, that's what we want to look at. And so I think that's how you prepare for the future. And it's planning. You know, what, what else is coming along? Are there new things that we're going to look at? Um, are with growth, you know, with, with what we do, we have properties going in and out all the time. So that that's part of it as well, is planning for that and knowing how are we going to take care of our teams? What are, you know, where are we going to move people? What are we going to do about growth? Are we preparing ourselves, do we have enough bench strength to promote people from within? If we have promoted everybody from within because we grew particularly quickly one year, where are we going to look for people? How are we, you know, how are we going to find those people? How do we integrate them into the culture? All of those things are, are preparing for the future. Well, one of the things that um, it, we, we talked about Zoom and that sort of thing being thrust into that world thanks to COVID, but one of the other technologies that really came to the forefront in all of this was, you said earlier, the virtual leasing. Um, and so uh, talk to us a little bit about what what has Bell Partners deployed? What have you seen successfully deployed that's, that has um, made an impact on marketing and leasing in that vein? So we were fortunate. We were starting down this path of using some of the AI tools and the chat bots and the virtual leasing, but we, had, we were testing it. Well, we ended up in about a 60-day period rolling it all out all at once. Um, so we rolled out a, a, a virtual or a, a lead a AI lead management tool. We've rolled out virtual leasing. We've rolled out self-guided tours. Um, we've rolled out chatbots on all of our websites. And what we saw is that it, this enables us to meet our customer where they want to be. So we have people now that want to come and look at an apartment. 
we still have people that are not comfortable. And so they can look at it um, virtually. We have people that want to go look at the website at two o'clock in the morning and we're not there. Well, now someone can answer their questions for them. You know, we can follow up automatically, which frees up our teams on site to spend more time in person with customers or on the phone with customers. So we've really looked at what are, what are the things that are going to improve and enhance the customer experience, and particularly when some of it may be remote. And so how do you do that and still create um, that sense of community, um, self-guided tours, tour schedulers on your website so that people can, again, meet the needs of your customer where they want to be met, not what, what is convenient for us. And uh, there's so much froth, I think, right now surrounding those kinds of services. Um, I mean, you, you have just named off at least five different touch points from a marketing standpoint that you've adopted. Um, if, if, you could, if you could really just adopt one of those, if you, if you were good to give advice to someone, what has had the most impact on your ability to, and, and what will persist you know, beyond um, you know, a return to being able to, to lease on site? Uh, what what would that be? What was the most important thing uh, to launch, you think? You know, I think it would be two of them. I, I don't think I can pick just one. I, I would say the, okay. chat, the chat bots on our websites, but the most impactful direct impact has been um, the AI tools for lead management um, because it had, we, have, we have truly been able to track and see about a 10% lift in leasing year over year, even in the midst of a pandemic. Um, from those tools. And I think it's because it, it has freed up our teams to be able to deal with the, the real live customer again, whether that's by phone, whether that's in person and the lead management is enabling our customers to talk to someone. They, in many cases, think they're talking to a live person, um, getting their questions answered when they need their questions answered so they're not frustrated. And so I think it, it, makes, it helps people make decisions. So I think those would be the two, obviously the virtual leasing, um, the self-guided tours, all of that is important, but those would be the two, I think, if you were choosing that I would choose. And just so we're clear, so you're talking like, like the Leasehawk product, for example, that allows, you know, they, they talk to, they talk to a, a AI, they're not talking to a real person, but AI is responding and answering their leasing questions. Responding and answering leasing questions, following up with them to see if they want to uh, that, you know, they had their appointment. Is there anything else they need? Um, so yes, it's those kind of tools. Uh, Meet a lease is one, is one that we use, but there are a number of them out there. Yeah. So we, I just, we just recently had a, 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 a interview with um, somebody from one of those companies who was on and, and I asked them the question. I said, given that, that it seems like um, the residents now are either on the spectrum of Hey, I, I I really don't need to speak to anybody. I'm happy integrating with your AI, talking to your AI, making my own appointment, looking at a virtual 3D tour, selecting my apartment and leasing. Right, zero interaction from leasing agents. Um, on the other end of the spectrum is at the very minimum, um, I, I, I maybe I want to meet with somebody, but there's a lot of homework I'm going to be doing first, a lot of research I'm going to be doing first, so that my interaction with the leasing agent is far briefer than it used to be. Are we seeing a shift then away from this kind of role at, at properties? We always say, well, we you say this all the time, Cindy. We say we sell ourselves first, right? You, you know, people lease your community, not because of the community, but because of the person. Are we disproving that at some level? 
I don't think so because you still have you still have to interact with somebody when you move. You know, even at even though you're not interacting um, live, maybe you're there's still behind the scenes. It's still the way the property looks, and I do think that there's always going to be people that still want to talk to someone. So while I do think it has changed our business, I don't think, you know, and this is always the fear of the leasing consultant is, oh, well, you know, you're going to replace me with AI. No, I don't think that we'll ever replace. I think what it allow is stronger connections with the people that you do talk to live. Um, look, I'm old enough to remember when we started, when we got computers on properties and everybody said, oh, we'll be able to eliminate staff because we're going to have software. And then it was, we're going to be able to eliminate staff because now we have all these other tools. Well, all that's done is make people want things faster. And clearly in today's world, that's part of the reason for the AI tools. Um, it's because people want to use those tools late at night or early in the morning, or they're not in the same time zone. Um, so I don't think it eliminates what it may do is allow us to not be open, say, quote unquote, be open virtually on a Sunday versus being, you know, being open seven days a week. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I don't think we have enough information yet to know if that's going to work. I certainly heard people say, oh, we'll be able to eliminate staff. Again, I never say never, but in my career, I've not seen a time when we've been able to eliminate staff. So for all of you site people out there, take a deep breath. I'm not sure that's going to really happen. Um, but I do think it helps us to enhance the experience. And I do believe all you have to do is go look at all of the, which we haven't talked about, is all the social media and the review sites. When they go on those review sites, they're not talking about your website or your AI tools. They're talking about your people. Good or bad, they're talking about the people. So that people experience whether it's when they first move in or once they get there, is still very critical to whether they like your community or not. Yeah, and we know that people are 10 times more likely to share a bad experience than they are a good experience. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Uh, well, so so obviously leasing has been um, uh, significantly impacted and perhaps improved by technology. Um, what other technolo technological advances has Bell Partners adopted um, that, that you, you would consider now critical for the business outside of leasing? And I wouldn't say that adopted. I think what we've seen is an increased use in the electronic payments. So you still, you know, uh -huh. a, so, several companies have gone to, you know, only accepting electronic. We, we feel like I, my, my philosophy is I want to take your rent however you want to give it to me because I want your rent. But it clearly with the pandemic, we've seen much more um, adoption of the electronic payments. And I think communication with your residents through text and email, um, not that we weren't using it before, but I think you're seeing more of that as well. So again, it, it's multi-channels now versus just one channel of communication. And I do think that will continue. And um, the events in Dallas and Austin where we have properties um, with the, you know, with the power being out for four days, you were, oh, you were dealing with people through Facebook, through text, um, because you had to use mobile devices. Nothing else was working. Um, and that was only if you went out to your car and charged your mobile device to be able to make it work. So I do think that 
those the, those communication forms, which were always there, um, we were forced to use more and we saw more adoption of those tools. Um, and I would say the same thing is true on the maintenance side with mobile maintenance and seeing more, more adoption of mobile maintenance and getting teams um, more, more contactless, you know, that they could, you don't have to go into the office to get your tickets. You can get it on your phone. You know, you can, those kind of things. So I think we will continue to see um, those tools be used because what we found is that it makes us more efficient as well. And it goes back to what I said earlier, which is I'm looking for things that make us more effective and more efficient at what we do. Um, because ultimately that makes our makes us outperform, which is another one of our core values. The uh, deployment of, of maintenance and work orders in a mobile environment has taken a while to take hold. Um, and I would guess, my guess would be in part that's, you know, um, the folks that are performing that, that work in the field, you know, they, they, I mean, these people, they turn wrenches, right? They're like work with their hands for a living. They tend to not be early adopters of technology. Um, and then the second thing is that, that I have, I've, I've known from other, um, operators that having a mobile phone policy has been tricky in the business because there's people's personal information, resident personal information ends up on those devices and what happens to that person leaves. Is that all, is Bell Partners solving all of that? You think? So it sounds like you're, you're looking to do more of that in the field. We're working on it. Yes. And, and you, you hit on one that's become more of an issue, not only on the maintenance side, but even on the leasing side, which is data privacy. And we have access to a lot of data. And now they're, again, going back to what you were talking about with the risk. Um, a lot of the states are now adopting data privacy laws, California, of course, being the first to do it. Um, and how we hold people's data, who we give that data to, um, becomes really critical. And so finding the way, you know, how do you do that on mobile maintenance without giving away you know, information? And a lot of that is because the resident is requesting the, the work. So it's coming in from them. And if they're using the mobile tool to do it, that gives us an ability to use it. But you do have to navigate a lot of legal issues when you're looking at a lot of these tools. And it's one of the things that as you look at whether it's leasing tools, whether it's management tools, uh, maintenance tools, understanding the data privacy laws and what that requires um, and what could trip you up um, becomes critical as well. Yeah. Yeah. More, more risk layered upon the business. I mean, the CCPA requirements um, ultimately should be probably the responsibility of whatever technology you're using, right. That That's collecting that data, but, but you can't, you, you, you have to go into it with your eyes open as an operator, realize ultimately you're, you get named in the lawsuit when the, when there's a data privacy leak. Exactly. It doesn't matter um, whether I'm indemnified by the, the supplier or the vendor, um, we're still going to get named. And it still means we have to do something. And so it's also reputational risk. And so, it, you know, it is a twofold. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a twofold issue. And, and it is. It's, you know, you've talked about it. Margins are thin. And yet um, everybody wants the manager to take on the risk and try all of these things. And so that's a constant balancing act of new technology or things that your clients may want you to try or do versus the risk to you as, as the operator. Um, so it, it is, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about what's going to work, what are the rules around it, what, um, and, and we are, 
you know, we are fairly conservative. So we are not going to probably be the first adopter of everything out there because we want to make sure that we understand um, the risk that it's going to, that it, it puts us in um, before we, and so we spend a lot of time doing a lot of research around those things before we, we roll something out. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, boy, Cindy, so much stuff. I would love to just drill down forever. And, and but, but I think you've, you've shared some really great things today. Let me, let me ask you to leave the, the, our students here with one, uh, one last bit of advice, which is, um, what is it that you, uh, you think people should know before, if they're considering getting into this as a business, what, what piece of advice would you give to them that they should know before they in, embark on a career in multifamily? Well, I tell people this all the time is, you know, what I love about our business is you will never be bored. You know, so <laughs> you, if you, you may love it or you may hate it, but you will never be bored. And if you are bored, you're doing something wrong because there is always something going on. And each day you can plan your day. But if you are somebody that has to plan and doesn't like a deviation from a plan, this is not the business for you because I can plan my day and five minutes into it, the day can blow up because some new thing happens. And that is true, whether you're on site, whether you're in a corporate role, um, but it's also what makes our job so interesting and exciting is because every day is different. And there's always something new, even though we may be doing the same things, quote unquote, over and over, there's always nuances to it. And there are always things that happen that, um, that make it different and make you have to stop and think about what are you gonna do about this? So my advice is always, um, make sure you love it because to your point, uh, no one is going to, it, it's a tough business and, and very rarely do people tell you what a great job you're doing. Most of the time they're going to tell you what's going wrong. So you have to really love it and you really have to um, see the tangible results yourself. You, each individual in multifamily makes a difference um, and you need to know that and be prepared for that. Um, but understand it's, um, it's a constant juggling act. Um, which again, uh, that's what I love about it. And I love the people aspect of it. But if that is not what you like, this is probably not the career for you. Right. Yeah. Never be bored is sometimes code for complete and utter chaos. <laughs> but uh, but you have, you already have to be prepared for that. Um, well, Cindy, so much. Uh, thank you so much for coming on today and, and sharing some of your insights, um, especially somebody who's been um, doing this at a high level for so long. It's really valuable for folks to hear all this and uh, wish you luck on on Bell Partners continued expansion um, into some of your states. I know you're seeking to grow um, in those areas where you already have um, portfolios. Is there anything, uh, if, if people are interested in working for Bell Partners or learning more about the company, where would they, where would they go for more information? They can go to bellpartnersinc.com, which is our website, and and we have a, a jobs page. We also have information about the company, um, so that's where I, that's definitely where I would go to look. And thank you for having me; I've really enjoyed it. Um, and yes, we are looking yeah. to expand out west um, in all of our markets, but we are definitely looking to expand further in the west. Um, so feel free to go to the website, and you'll you'll be able to find us. Great. Well, maybe sometime we can we can do this again and dig more into um, into some of these uh, into the chaos of on-site operations because there's a lot to talk about. There. Thanks so much. We appreciate your you being with us today, Cindy. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in today's class here at the Apartment Academy. Uh, if you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here, then um, go to our website, apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. 
We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that um, we think you can immediately deploy to improve apartment operations. Until next time, class is dismissed. <laughs>